This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, speaking of Joe C.C. and the Alberta government, obviously a lot of reaction this week to their, I think, shocking, is fair to describe it, shocking announcement uh, that they're going to go to court to try to have this PPA out clause thrown out. Now, PPA is Power Purchase Arrangement, and this was uh, something brought in as part of the transition to deregulation in, in the late 90s. Uh, the companies could uh, come in and, and buy these agreements, these arrangements to, to sell power. Now, they were meant to be 20-year agreements, and so the thinking at the time seemed to be that you know, companies, companies needed some assurance that the landscape wasn't going to change dramatically. So this clause allows them to return those contracts, those agreements to the balancing pool if a change in government policy makes them more unprofitable. Now, the government argues, well, first of all, they're claiming that they just found out about this, but arguing that the government at the time didn't have the authority to bring in that clause. So they're trying to have it declared null and void. Problem is, it looks like they're covering their own behinds because they should have known about this when they pressed ahead with uh, doubling the uh, cigarette rate, as it's known, S-G-E-R. Uh, they should have known that that would make those, those agreements even more unprofitable and that these companies would look to get out of them. Well, joining us to further explain how the system works, why, why these agreements are there, and maybe what the government should have known and could have done differently. Pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Donna Kennedy-Glanz, of course, a former PC MLA, uh, founder of Viewpoints Alberta, also a board director with Sponsor Energy. Donna, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Rob. These are pretty serious questions. Yeah, they really are. So were, were you as surprised as everyone else when, when you first heard about this lawsuit? I was surprised. I, I find it... Uh, shocking. I'm, I'm incredulous that the government could suggest that they weren't aware of these clauses. And it really underscores the, the lack of confidence that people are slowly talking, talking about more and more in our rollout of the carbon leadership plan. They're, they're supportive of carbon tax for the most part. But if we're just going to be doing this at, at warp speed without really thinking about the consequences or understanding the consequences, uh, people are getting really concerned. It seems as though they are. I mean, um, you know, I noticed in the Financial Post today there was uh, a warning from, from one an- analyst at uh, RBC uh, Securities who said this is going to uh, have a, a very negative impact on, on investor confidence in Alberta. And I think a lot of people, the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, have seconded that. It, it, it creates uncertainty, doesn't it? It, it it's um it's something that i personally am am familiar with not uh, the, the concept of negotiating energy clauses is what i used to do before i decided i wanted to be a politician <laughs> and and in the late 90s um in, in actually mid 90s and, and through to the mid you know well actually into 2000 it's not it, it's unusual but it's it it happens where you add those kinds of clauses to contracts because there's so much uncertainty, it's not an Enron clause. I, I have that just is a, a label that that sort of attracts some drama. This yeah. has got nothing to do with Enron. It's a clause that you put in a contract because if at the time in 2000 when these contracts were being negotiated, the worry was 
for the bidders that there would be a change in carbon legislation. It was exactly written to address the event that is now happening. There were British experts brought in who helped with the tra- our transition of the generation market, electricity generation from regulated to deregulated. It was a thoughtful process. There was even a worry at the time that we would have negative bids for those contracts. And in fact, they were able to garner $2 billion to put into the balancing pool. So it wasn't like somebody that was just a throwaway. It wasn't something that was never done anywhere else. And it it got the job done. And that was a really challenging thing for the province to do then, um, to actually convert a regulated system into a market-based system. And they did it with a lot of thought. I'm pretty shocked that we're going back now and and suggesting that the very reason that it was put in place is not a legitimate reason. Well, yeah, but you make an important point because it's been suggested by the government and the few defenders at the moment of the government that somehow this clause was a gift to these companies and we would have been better off if it hadn't existed. But I, I think, as you point out, and others have pointed out, if we if we hadn't put that in, what, what would the impact have been? Well, we would have had much lower. Um, we, we might have had negative bids on those contracts, so we they might have cost consumers more at the time to have them go and in, move into a, a deregulated market. It, it's a hindsight is always twenty twenty. This is sixteen years out. And the people at the table at the time making these decisions with experts were people like McCrank and DeSorcy and Bill Prince. And for now, there to be this kind of drive by, you know, what were you doing? And actually to take people who have proven capacity to manage these kinds of issues, regulators, people who are leading in our community, and then to to do a drive-by on them at this point in time, you got to wonder who on earth is going to want to be a regulator in the province of Alberta if that's what we do to people. One of the points that's been raised is is the language about profitability that um, initially the the out clause referred to if it makes an agreement unprofitable and it was changed to more unprofitable. Is is that an important point here? Yes, because it was clearly at the time people were concerned about it being unprofitable and they didn't want it they wanted to if something happens in the future that makes this even more unprofitable, we want we still want to have that out. So clearly the conversation happened. And it was again, as I said earlier, it was put in place to address the specific issue of carbon of a, of a carbon tax coming in and making these contracts more unprofitable. So the the idea that if if a if a company is going to be locked in to uh, something that's already unprofitable and then have to to bear more loss, they're they're not going to do it in the first place. Right. So it was an intention at the time, and I, I don't want to get into the legal weeds. I'm a lawyer, so it's kind of irresistible <laughs> sure. for me. But it's a, it was, you know, you, you put those words in a contract because you have, an, have a very clear intention at the time, and, and that was a worry. I, and, and for people, you know, like Justin Smith of the Chamber of Commerce or Nenshi or the Royal Bank to say, whoa, all of them are using different words. I mean, Monty Python comes up, but they're using different words, but they're all people saying 
I think with good reason, whoa, this is really, really strange. What on earth are you doing out there in Alberta? And why are you doing it that way? It doesn't make any sense to anybody else. And the other groups we're not hearing from right now, Rob, are consumer groups. Consumer advocacy groups haven't raised this. Um, you know, electricity right now for consumers is pretty low cost, and it's partially because we've got the Shepherd build and we've got supply and we've got a recession going on. Oversupply and, you know, lowering demand have an effect. But really, just... It just seems like a a drama um, to to say, you know, we are the government and we're here to protect consumers and we're going to do this and, and shut down these evil companies. It's like an old movie and it 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 may play well, but it's it, it doesn't seem very genuine and and it is really incredulous to me that somebody could suggest in this government that they weren't aware of those causes. That absolutely shocks me. That shocked me more than anything else, to be well, honest with you. I want to ask you about that. i got to take a quick break here. Can you stay with us? Sure. All right. We'll come back and we'll pick up on that point that if these arrangements existed and were known and companies have been operating under that for 16 years, why would a government be caught off guard uh, by this? which is uh, indeed puzzling and concerning. Uh, Donna Kennedy-Glance is uh, on the line with us, former MLA, in fact, was Associate Minister of Electricity and Renewable Energy during her time in office. We're back with more right after this. We're trying to sort through uh, all the the mystery around these uh, power purchase arrangements, this out clause that's existed since 2000, why the government's going to court to have this thrown out, and I guess the question of uh, what they they knew or should have known about it before uh, proceeding with their their carbon pricing plants. Uh, Former MLA Donna Kennedy-Glanz on the line with us. Um, So, Donna, the, the point you raised before the break about what the government knew, they, they've suggested that they didn't know about this, which I don't think reflects well on them, although uh, documents have surfaced suggesting maybe they were warned about this uh, last fall, which also doesn't reflect well on them. What, what does it seem to be uh, to you in terms of what the explanation is? I cannot understand it, Rob. Um, I'm trying to assume good intentions. I really am, and I don't want to turn this into a partisan issue. This is an issue for Albertans. This is a really big issue. Um, and we got to fix it now. We can't fix it in the future. It's got to be dealt with now. Uh, but I cannot understand how you could suggest when bureaucrats in those ministries of, of uh, energy for sure, and I'm sure in environment, were well aware of what was going on here. Um, regulators were absolutely aware. Um, experts who advised the government were aware. You had a, a, a group that was out there inviting impact, you know, looking at carbon policy and impacts in the fall. I just cannot fathom how somebody didn't talk about this. As you um, are aware, I launched an initiative last fall, a beyond partisan initiative, including people from all political stripes. And we went out to talk to Albertans as citizens. And we talked, connected with 500,000 Albertans to ask them about carbon policy and energy policy last fall. And we took those messages on their behalf to decision makers and we took them to Paris to the climate change meetings and people farmers in communities in southern Alberta and people up in Fort McMurray and people in Edmonton and Red Deer and Grand Prairie and Calgary were asking about these kinds of questions I cannot 
for the life of me understand how a government could say that they they weren't aware. Now, and could it have been done differently? The government seems to be arguing that they had to act quickly uh, regarding their their carbon pricing regulations, and that maybe there was somehow no no avoiding this. Do, do you buy that? I think it was important, and I think we had to get ahead, um, and we already had carbon a price on carbon, and and we had to be serious and you know demonstrate that we were willing to go further. The fact that we did not think through the implications of you know the actual implementation of this, the the consequences and understanding the unintended consequence really makes me nervous because it's not just this issue, but there are other issues that are out there and they're a concern. And I don't want to fear monger. That's not what this is about. But we need to go slow enough so we understand what's going on. And you can make a commitment to a carbon, to increase the carbon tax or the levy, but you need to take time to figure out how you do that. We're integrating systems. We're changing the electricity generation system so significantly that, and I've written a paper with Dr. Brian Beats on this for, for Energy Regulation Quarterly. We're, we're really jeopardizing the, the market-based electricity generation system. And if we're going to unwind that and go back to a a regulated market that's a decision that needs to be made intentionally and thoughtfully it's very tricky doing this stuff without sending wrong messages to the marketplace and i am really worried that we're not doing that now part of the argument for this lawsuit is that it's about protecting consumers there there is of course the wrinkle that nmax is is owned by the the city of calgary upcore Edmonton. I mean, it just seems regardless of whether the government is successful, consumers are going to end up paying one way or the other. The, the pace of this transition and not just this choice about what we do with the PPAs, but if we pull down coal plant plants too quickly, we could actually have a reliability issue. Uh, we don't ever worry about electricity. You know, you plug something in, and the electricity for us is always there. We're really fortunate that way in Alberta. But if we don't do this right, um, we've got an oversupply situation right now, but it's tricky, and it can't be just done, you know, knee-jerk. The systems actually have to connect to one another. And I, I, I'm losing confidence in how we're managing that, that, that implementation of the strategy. I'm not sure we understand what's going to happen for certain. Well, yeah, as you say, we've, we've overbuilt the system and we've, we've got this uncertainty now. How do, how do we go about then adding additional capacity? It's a really big question. We we need we are going to still need generators to invest, and they pay for it. We don't pay for it in Alberta. Our generator pays for their own their own facility, whether it's a wind farm or whatever source of electricity we're looking at. And we're going to need them to continue to do that in the future. But when we create this kind of uncertainty and jitteriness and really what kind of a system do we want it's sending all the wrong messages to people and then we're going to end up 
you know, we're going to have a, a quota. We, we look like we've got targets going in. They're already committed targets for renewable energy, and there's some uncertainty around that. You know, are we going to incentivize those? How are we going to make that happen? And there's a lot here to still roll out. And now, you know, with this particular litigation, we, we've clouded one part of that process. And we're, we're just talking right now about the NMAX contract, but balancing pool right at this point in time has termination notices that it has not acted upon from other generators, PPA holders. And you know, what's it going to do? I mean, the balancing pool acted appropriately, I think, in, in accepting the notification from NMAX, and what's it going to do with the rest of them sitting there? It's not just this one contract that's an issue. One possibility, and I know it's tough because people really want to deal with coal, and, and I understand why, but one option to kind of get us out of this box and, and try to give ourselves some wiggle room to figure out a better strategy would be to actually say, for the government to say, you know what, the carbon levy applied to coal is is not is problematic we're going to exempt coal from that levy for this point at this point in time and we're going to figure out a plan for coal you know we're, we're driving it off the cliff a lot faster than was planned by the feds anyway and and just carve out coal and treat differently those solutions were on the table and and people just you know, it seems ideological, this, and it seems a little, you know, for a government that talks about, you know, reduce the drama, this feels like a really um, public relations motivated strategy. No kidding. Just quickly, Donna, and maybe you can explain then, in terms of triggering the clause, does the balancing pool make the decision or is it enough for the company to say, we believe that this will make it more unprofitable? <laughs> Well, it's a, a company would demonstrate to the balancing pool and give notice, and that's what's happened. And the balancing pool, frankly, I mean, it's a it's an administrative law and a contractual law yeah. response. They're a regulated entity; and they have to exercise. Um, they have to act. <laughs> they can't just say, "Well, no, I can't. I'm not going to do that." Then you've, you've got a problem. Right. Exactly. Uh, great insight, Donna. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate this. Well, thanks for airing this issue. I think Albertans really deserve a better answer, and I'm grateful that, that you're asking good questions. Yeah, Thank appreciate you. That. Thanks, Donna. Uh, Donna Kennedy-Glanz, uh, former MLA, as mentioned, uh, was also Associate Minister uh, of Electricity and Renewable Energy. Uh, she is uh, the founder of Viewpoints Alberta and uh, also uh, currently the board chair, or board director, rather, at Sponsor Energy. We're back uh, to wrap things up here on the Thursday edition of the program right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.